Firstly, as I mentioned before, we now have seven days of upward shift. You may have received the newsletter. We started doing live, daily, self-inquiry meditations at 8 a.m. Australian time via Zoom and the Ashram's Instagram. Now, as we move in the second week of lockdown, we had an inspiration at the Ashram to offer these morning meditations. Since we're all locked down and there's so many experienced yogis here, why not come together and share in the practice and make the most of our time at home? So far, we've had two mornings. Yesterday, I had the pleasure of sharing, and today we had Swami Paramananda. Tomorrow, we've got Premji, and we have several other advanced, experienced teachers during the week. There's been a lot of Shakti in coming together to meditate, connecting with the community, and making use of this wonderful technology to uplift our inner world. So a lot of people who've tuned in have been sending very loving and appreciative messages. Thank you, and we love hearing from you. Meditation calms our mind and brings us in touch with our heart. It connects us to the inner self, the goal of practice. And the Shiva process method of self-inquiry that Guruji and Devi Ma have devised and we practice here is a very effective way of going deep within, releasing blocks and contractions that obscure our experience of the self and peeling back the layers, getting back in touch with the peace and joy at the core of our being. So if you'd like to join us in meditation in the mornings, we're online every day this week, 8 a.m. for around half an hour. And if you miss them live, you can still watch the videos which will be posted on social media afterwards to watch any time. We have Masterclass coming up with Nataraj Chaitanya, three workshops. They've been postponed for a few weeks due to the lockdown until July the 11th, which is just after our winter retreat. And this is an opportunity to take your yoga and teaching to the next level. Nataraj will personally mentor your teaching methodology, cueing, sequencing and adjustments. He's been teaching yoga teachers for nearly a decade and has over 15 years experience. And he's very passionate about bringing the full yoga system to modern life. So these are great workshops that you can sign up for via the website. And finally, we have the self-inquiry lockdown special for the training. So the self-inquiry I've been talking about is something that you can learn to do for yourself as a way of understanding and uplifting your inner world of thought and feeling. And so we have these training courses where you can work one-on-one -on -one with an experienced facilitator and there are six sessions for level one and 12 for level two. So for the next seven days, you can still receive the 15% lockdown special and you can register at theashram.com.au. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yes, it's me again. But Swamiji has said that all things considered, he should be back next week. So we look forward to that. But on his behalf, I would like to say, welcome, uh, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And uh, of course, that's a teaching that he has imbibed from Baba. 
and it's a teaching, perhaps the most difficult one to really achieve in terms of viewing ourselves and others with respect and love. And, uh, you know, that in, that in, in, in uh, means that what? It means that to respect someone is to listen and hear them. To not force our opinions on others. To speak the truth with kindness. And to embrace everyone regardless of situation, race, religion. And you know, it always struck me actually when uh, one of the first times I got to the South Fallsburg ashram they were building, Babu had this bee in his bonnet about an interfaith garden. And, you know, we sort of uh, copied that around our little dam where we have uh, images and sayings from a lot of the great beings. And he was committed to seeing all religions, all people, all faiths as uh, one humanity. And he, of course, embraced his own humanity, and he taught that to everyone who came into, in contact with him. All right, so the first thing I'm going to do is uh, say hello to everyone out there in Radioland, as Guruji likes to call it. In the U.S., we have Chandra Leka and Bob, Janaki and Lenore in New York. Then we have in Michigan, we have regulars, Swami Atmananda and Kashi Ama at, in the Ann Arbor Shiva Meditation Center, Sharvani and Maida. Hello to all of you. And then we have in McHenry, Illinois, Susie and John, although we've never met Susie and John. Uh, it seems like they're old friends, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like they're old friends. I think they're formerly uh, Baba people, so they know the ropes. Then we have in Italy, we have Giorgio. Hello, Giorgio. I don't think we've met. Did I say that last time? I'm not sure. But maybe you've met uh, some of us virtually. Have you met him virtually? What? Oh, he's a Baba person. So, you know, you got to love those Baba people. <laughs> I'm telling you, you just got to love them. I love all Baba's people. Anyways, uh, Germany, Klaus. Hello, Klaus. Nice to see you. And Madhava in Hungary. Hello, Madhava. Canada, there's Gaudi. In India, New Delhi, there's Raja. How did Raja come to us? Don't know? Facebook. Ah, you should drop us a line, Raja. Tell us who you are. Uh, oh, maybe he doesn't want us to know who he is. No. All right, so in the... Then in uh, Queensland, we've got Sunil, Gangadhar, Kaveri, Karuna, Nazari. Hello to all of you. God, I hope it's warmer up there than it is down here. It's like the Arctic down here lately. South Australia, Suri and Deepak. Hello to both of you. And New South Wales, Richard. And then locally, we have Prajna and Bernard. Vanima and Yogi Shri, Vidya, Rishi and Sharada, Chitra, Lilavati, Usha, Vikram, Anjali. Hello to all of you. And we're missing all of you terribly, all of the, the locals who you're usually here in person. Uh, Anjali and Avaduta, Mira, Narda and Shanti, Sammy. Teja, Durgananda, Natchi, Shivaraj, Leo, Ocean, and Harvey, Ambika, Jyoti, Josh, Brahmani Ma, whose birthday it was a few days ago, and Anandi, 
Hello, Anandi. Thank you for all your prasad. Manohar, Chandana, Julieta, Kiran, Chandrika, Morley, T, Simone, and Chandu. Who's Chandu? Oh yeah, Chandu. Hi, Chandu. Now I know. Uh, Ramanaji, now he can only see us from a distance. <laughs> Mahesh, Brahmi, Vasudev, Liam, Finley, Georgina, Sumitra, Patricia, Nick, Nandini, Jagadish, Asha, Urvasi, and Jillian. And in the ashram, we have Guruji and Bhaktananda, but Bhaktananda just showed up. She must be feeling better. She was feeling a little unwell. Okay, so welcome and lots of love. And as I said, we're all wishing that Swamiji will be here next week. All right, so, uh, and he wanted me to thank you for all your good wishes and blessings and love that's been coming, pouring in. All right, so... In the, I don't know when this was, but around, I'm still working with Swamiji's essays from the 70s and 80s, and this had to be in the 80s, and he was asked to write a series on the Vigyana Bhairava for the Siddhapath magazine. And uh, of course, as those of you who tuned into the study group, you know that he's been working with the Vigyana Bhairava in the study group, and so he was quite happy for me to share. Uh, his early essays, two, I've got two here, on the, the Vigyana Bhairava. And he, he goes, he starts off by saying, it's an ancient Shaivite text that holds a special place in Siddhi Yoga. And it's always held a special place in his heart. He's always loved it and used it since, ever since I've known him. It dates from about the 7th century, although the practices it describes are much older. It belongs to the class of Shaivite scriptures called Agama or Tantra. Tantras have a particular quality of their own. They are not mythological like the Puranas, nor knowledge-oriented like the Upanishads. They tend to be mystical and practical, which is two of Swamiji's favorite things, actually with detailed descriptions of yogic practices, rituals, mantras, yantras, sacred diagrams, mudras, you know, symbolic gestures, asanas, postures, which we all know from Hatha Yoga, meditation, visualizations, and the like. A tantra will often contain in addition to such practical material, a philosophical section dealing with the nature of reality, the place of man in the universe and his relation to God and the self. And finally, a section which lists the benefits that accrue to one who practices the path as described. Now, I can remember the first time I went to a Kashmir Shavans study group with uh, Swamiji, and it was in Ann Arbor, and he's always taught it uh, and you know, tried to share it with as many people as he can. But the first thing out of his mouth was the first sutra, which is Chaitanyam Atma, which is everything is consciousness. And I went into a trance and didn't wake up for an hour. And that every time he talks about Shaivism or every time we, we talk about Shaivism, it has an aliveness to it that I don't experience from other philosophies. I like the ideas, for example, in Vedanta, but does it give that bliss, that vibration of Shakti that Shaivism does? Not to me. Not to me. But anyways, he goes on. Vijnana Bhairava takes places the heaviest emphasis on the practical, technical aspects of yoga. It is a handbook of techniques to quiet the mind and experience the self directly. When we think about one thing, we are simultaneously not thinking about everything else. We gain knowledge about the object of our contemplation, but at the same time, we gain ignorance about the rest of the universe. 
Vijnana hints at a kind of knowledge that illumines everything equally. As such, it must be traced beyond individual thought forms to the formless consciousness that underlies them all. If we say, think of everything at once, we cannot think of any particular thing. Each discrete object must fall, melt, and dissolve into the ocean of consciousness. This is Vijnana Bhairava, the knowledge of Shiva, divine consciousness. It is consciousness free and unbound. That is, it is unfettered by form. Let me just cross my legs here for a minute. Oh, I know what's wrong. A pillow at my back. This ocean of consciousness is the goal of Vijnana Bhairava. It is a state of being attainable by the yogi. And you know, I always think uh, about the guru, and this includes Swamiji, is that their greatest gift to us, to us is this ability to transmit their state of consciousness. So when they come to satsang and they, they teach us and when they, you know, we're in their presence, this is the power of guru's grace. So we may live with our ordinary mind, but when we're in the company of a great being, our mind becomes extraordinary and we're taken out of the usual thought forms of how we think about ourselves and how we think about the world. So it is a state of being attainable by the yogi. Although it is everywhere, to find it we have to turn within. There is a doorway in the human heart through which we pass into the realm of consciousness. Once inside, we can open our eyes and find that consciousness outside as well. It is a vast, eternal, unknowable by the mind. It is pure light, the Lord, still and deep, without purpose, activity, or language. It is also the other, full of joy, full of the joy of creation, full of love, full of activity, form and words, and self-conscious awareness. Tantric texts are almost invariably in the form of a dialogue between the personifications of this original duality, the Lord and the other, in other words, the subject, us, and the objects in the world. Vigana Bhairava is thus a dramatic dialogue Shiva, Bhairava, the all-knowing, transcendent, gives the teaching at the request of Shakti. This drama takes place for the sake of humanity. The goddess and Bhairava are actually one and inseparable. She is his Shakti, or the persona with which he moves in the manifested universe. She gets blamed for everything. In order... <laughs> In order to give the teachings of Vijnana Bhairava, he becomes two beings, one to ask and one to answer. And this is a great description of self-inquiry, actually, of Shiva process. We ask a question and we answer it. A perfect guru and perfect disciple, they play their roles in order to enjoy a love sport in duality. The goddess is called Shavi Mukha, which the means of approaching Shiva, for otherwise that supreme consciousness would be too remote, too abstract for us to reach. So maybe it's that she also makes him human. The Shakti gives form to the formless and gives identity to that which can't be identified by normal means. As such, she represents the compassion of God, one with Shiva on the deepest level, she questions him in human language to induce him to speak the highest truths, which she already knows. But it's so that we, as human beings, can comprehend. She begins, Shiva, my lord, I have heard all the theories, all the scriptures that deal with God and the self. Still, I am confused. What is your essential nature? Her question has to do with form and formlessness, being the principle of form herself, 
She is not clear on the relationship of form to formlessness. Do they coexist? Does Bhairava or Shiva consist of one or both? And perhaps we don't ask these questions to ourselves in this particular way, which is the formal language of uh, guru and disciple, but we, I think we do ask these questions and sometimes get confused by these things. But Bhairava answers, and he says in verses 7 to 21, with delight, he's delighted by these questions. Because as in the Guru Gita, there's a similar passage where uh, Parvati goes to Shiva and asks about the nature of the Guru. And this is quite similar. The goddess's questions have gone to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter really is, who am I? And who am I in this world? Who am I in this universe? And I think for all seekers, we're plagued by that question. He answer, his answer is from the highest non-dual standpoint. The true nature of Bhairava, he says, is beyond all forms, all mantras, letters, chakras, and so on. Form, he says, is only a prop for the spiritually immature. These lesser conceptions are given by God in the same spirit that a mother offers a chocolate to a child to coax him to behave properly. Only the undivided aspect of the supreme is true. But Bhairava Shiva is not rejecting the universe of form. He only insists that we do not get caught in form, mistaking a symbol for the reality it embodies or represents. In fact, form of Shakti is a means of attaining the supreme. This is the whole point. Bhairava insists that Shakti is the means by which Shiva is recognized. And you know, it's interesting because probably all of us, before we awoke or before we received Shaktipat, before we met the Guru, were suffering from poverty of Shakti, a kind of sense of depletion and the question arising, you know, what is it all for? What's it all about, really? What's the true meaning of my life? And you know, I've been talking to, I've been saying to Swamiji that this yoga, this path, our path, the path we're on is not for everyone. It's not. It's for true, sincere seekers who want a life transformation. Because that's what Shaktipat, that's what the Siddha Guru does. That's what they offer us a possibility for a transformation of being that awakens divine love, divine wisdom, and divine power. And so not everyone wants that. It's too fierce for most people. So I'm saying we're not for everyone. <laughs> we're, only the, we're only for those people who want a sincere path to liberation, to a sincere path for self-knowledge to awaken and embrace the divine and make that our life purpose, to live from the divine and not to live from the ego, from just what we want and don't want. So he says, he goes on, Swamiji goes on, he says, the Kamakala Vilasa says, she is the primordial Shakti who excels all and who in her own true nature is the source of all the moving and motionless things which are to be, and she is the pure mirror in which Shiva experiences himself. And you know, it's interesting because in, uh, you know, in self-inquiry, we look at the mirror. We are Shiva sitting, and Shakti is creating an experience in every moment, and Shiva is aware of that experience in every moment, if we pay attention to what Shakti is saying to us. And it's Shiva reflecting on himself, and that reflection extends to the whole world because suddenly then it's not just the... Uh, Shiva is not just reflecting on his own being, but he's also reflecting on the outer world. And then he says, 
Guruji goes on, he says, in the very fabric of our daily lives, potential within our ordinary experience lies the highest truth. Why do we not know and experience this? It's only because of wrong understanding. The goddess, fascinated by this notion, finally asks the question that generates the teaching of the Vijnana Bhairava. O oh Lord, how can I know that supreme Shakti? How can I experience the full state of Bhairava? Show me how Shakti is the door or entrance to Bhairava. So it's only, her question really refers to, you know, how do I wake up? <laughs> like, wake me up so I can know that experience and so that I can become one with you. Shiva's response is to suggest 112 meditations or dharanas. These are striking for their variety. Some are yogic, mystic, and esoteric. They are barely intelligible without special back background in Shaivism or yoga. Others are cosmic, bold strokes of a conceptual brush. All is consciousness. I am that Shiva. Still others are mundane, occasionally reaching the borderline of comedy, staring into a jar, balancing on a buttock, tickling an armpit, eating food. Their very range gives something for everyone, and more important still, shows us how to turn all of our life experiences into means of self-development. These 112 dharanas actually imply an infinite number. All life is yoga. Life as we live it is in fact the arena of yoga. And different people will employ differing means. Here we approach the very core of Shaivism. Future articles, he's saying, will look at specific dharanas making suggestions of ways we can use them for understanding and experience. And perhaps lockdown is a good time to do all that, to try to see the feel and experience the shakti in ordinary moments. And there'll be a lot of ordinary moments while we're in lockdown, cleaning the house, you know, yelling at the kids, you know, fighting with your partner, uh, what else, eating, sleeping, drinking, Anyways, ordinary, mundane moments in life to try to experience the divine in all of those. Bhairava concludes his enumeration of the dharanas and makes the remarkable statement that if a seeker is established in even one of them, so it means if we, can only, if we understand just one, we will attain self-realization, becoming one with Shiva, himself. doesn't mean it'll be permanent, but the point is, is to have short bursts of experience of I am Shiva or I am the self leads to permanent experience of that state. He says, this is the beginning of the short but compact section usual in the tantras dealing with promised results. Each dharana has the power to be a link between our present state of suffering and God consciousness that lies behind the fevered madness of the fears and desires of our mind. They are neither party games nor exercises nor tricks. Their power is mantric, divine. Understanding them, we too gain the mystic power of the word, the all-important word, which is the key to everything. I think. The goddess has a final cluster of questions, and these center on worship. For a moment, she sounds like a somewhat puzzled Orthodox Hindu. She asks Shiva, given all these things you've taught me, that is, that everything in the universe is that one divine consciousness, who then is to be worshipped and meditated on? What happens to the distinction between the devotee and the Lord that is always made in conventional religion. Conventional religion says one thing, and you have taught me something very different. In fact, Swamiji says, she is giving Bhairava the opportunity to offer a critique of conventional religion. 
or more precisely, to take it to a higher method, a new level of meaning for those capable of following it. By the time of the writing of the Vijnana Bhairava, the traditional Vedic religion, which relied heavily on worship and ritual, had become automatic and rote. Where originally rituals were performed to uplift the heart and join it to God, to calm the mind and free it from fear and worry, now they were done out of habit and superstition. Into this arid feeling came the great Vedantin Shankara with his call to understand rather than only to do. At the same time, the great Shaivite masters with the knowledge encoded in Vijnana Bhairava, they called us to do and to try to understand. Verse 147 in the Vijnana Bhairava says, Worship does not mean offering of flowers, etc. It rather consists of setting one's heart on that highest consciousness, which is above all thought constructs. It really means dissolution of self with perfect ardor in the supreme consciousness. So you could say that the ritual that we do at the beginning of satsang is that. It means dissolving the separate self into the divine self in the worship of the the higher of higher consciousness. This is not dry non-dualism. Tired of all lesser gods, the worshiper turns his burning heart with ardor towards his only true spiritual home, the self. And everything we do in the ashram, all of Swami's te Swamiji's teachings are to attain that self. The arti, the worship of waving of lights before an image or a statue or picture of the deity is familiar to us. It includes chanting of mantras, burning of incense, offering of flowers and food, blowing of conches, and so on. Here, Shiva reinterprets worship. Jayadev Singh, whose excellent English edition of the Vijnana Vairava, has made this work available to the West. And it includes a verse by Jayarata, which explores the inner yogic meaning of worship. And he says, Worship consists of the unification of the different streams of sense experience, like form, color, taste, with the infinite, free, immaculate consciousness of Shiva, which is above the limitation of space and time, entirely unconditioned, and is the perfect and highest consciousness. You know, and sometimes as Westerners, we wonder, why are there so many gods and goddesses, you know? I think Hindus are very clever because they've given a form to every possible attribute, to every possible type of, or things associated with desires and fears. Shiva to protect, you know, Lakshmi to grace with uh, prosperity, Vishnu that sustains a happy householder life. There's a purpose behind it. And, it's the, and as uh, you know, Swamiji is saying, or, and uh, the Vigana Bhairava is saying, its purpose is to make one that which is many. And also it gives us an opportunity to speak to that, to voice whatever it is that we might want. Because some people, sometimes a lot of us will hide what we want, and then it becomes a kind of a toxic thing. Oh, I can't have that. I'll just get depressed. Oh, I can't have that. I'm not worthy. Oh, I want that, but it's impossible. No, 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 no. That's such negative self-talk. But to speak to consciousness, to speak to God, to uh, use a form whose attributes you want to embrace or you want to, to uh, understand or you want to know or you want to experience... That's a positive way of uh, dealing with frustrated desire and unspoken fears. It's not for everyone, I know, but it can work. Speaking to God, to consciousness, to the higher self always works. The introverted consciousness of the yogi sees all external events and people as symbols and projections of inner states. Thus, worship is the playing out on the stage of the sense world of a drama that he regards as personal, interior, and, phys and mystical. 
It is said that when the primal guru, Dakshinamurti, was asked for a teaching, the silent sage held up his hand in Abhaya Mudra, the gesture of fearlessness. The hand is held up, palm outward, as a traffic policeman would, single, would signal stop. Then he joined the fingers together to the thumb, indicating that the mind and senses were to be joined to the self. Because there's no fear when we're in touch with the self. We're completely fearless and certain and confident. And if we're not that, then it means that we're not in touch with the self. That was his entire teaching. According to Vijnana Bhairava, worship is an external symbol of the same teaching. The image is worshipped with items that belong to each of the senses. Inner worship, therefore, involves focusing the interior flow of feelings, thoughts, and images on the self. The natural home of the mind and the senses is the self. Nonetheless, we experience an actual force or pull of the mind and senses outward towards the body and objects. That force is our karma. It is the living history of many past wrong understandings and wrong choices. It can be overcome by an integrated effort to move towards the self. This is the secret of dharana. It is a short but highly focused movement towards our inner being. After repeated immersions in the self, we rest there effortlessly. Wrong tendencies are overcome. It takes no effort to simply be what we actually are. And I think that's, uh, you know, the goal of, of great gurus is to show us how to be who we actually are. All right, so... I don't know what to do now, whether I've got another. What do you think? Should I read the next one? Yes? You want more? Or are you tired of it? More? These are so good. And, it, you know, it's really interesting, actually, to hear this voice of Swamiji's in his early days of teaching Shaivism. Uh, he coins phrases in a completely different way. So this one is uh, from the same period, from the Siddha path. I'm not sure which one. It doesn't say which one. I don't know who collected these. Did you do it, Vidya? No? Who collected these essays? Were they here? It might have been Vani. I think it was Vani. Oh. Oh, Vani, Ma? Yeah. You think it was Vani? Well, she'll let us know. Was it you, Vani, Ma? Well, you did a good job. Anyway, <laughs> we should do them all. All right, so Swamiji begins. Well, the title of this one is You Are the True Subject of This Peace. And he begins by saying, I had a vivid dream recently in which I was an actor about to go on stage. The play was already in progress, and I had just been given the script. I was desperately trying to memorize my opening line. In the play, I was to turn to the audience and say, You are the speaker and the true subject of this piece. My Jungian dream analyst, Swami Shantananda, had already left for Europe, so I couldn't find out what this meant in terms of my unconscious and my anima. I knew inwardly, however, that I should give this message here. So you, O oh reader, are the speaker and the true subject of this piece. You are the subject. What could be more fascinating? Because you are the self. And the self is always the subject. Then, too, to locate the self, we have to locate the pure subject, the I am, the aham, the direction inward. You are the speaker of this piece because this knowledge does not belong by copyright to Bhairava, to the gurus, to anyone, nor to me. It is your knowledge. You recognize and delight in it because it is yours. It is your joy to listen to these teachings which flow from the self for the entertainment of the self. You are the speaker of the peace because you and no one, if not you, are that very Bhairava, that very Shiva who speaks. 
Baba was the first person I heard give such a message. He said that a human being is not just godlike and great, the culmination of evolution and the like, but literally and starkly, God himself. When I first heard this, I didn't understand it, but I loved it. My intuition strained to somehow feel its way in this new terrain. That very straining was my first effort of real sadhana, awakened by the word of the guru. A few weeks ago, the Mahamandaleshwar visited Ganeshpuri. He is a swami officially empowered to create other swamis. He presided at the sannyas ceremonies of the of Guru Mai Chitvalasananda and Guru Dev Nityananda. A group of the swamis were sitting with him after he arrived, and he said, looking around, I can see everyone is happy. Well, why not? We are one with God. Our hearts, our hearts soared. On one level, perhaps, he was being clubby. It is the traditional teaching that when a person takes sannyas, he becomes one with God. But the sweetness of the message showed that he was coming from a deeper place that included all humanity. No one ever, ever wearies of, being, of hearing about the greatness of the self. The essence of the Shaivism taught in the Vijnana Bhairava is embodied in the thought, I am Shiva. My essential nature is divine unlimited and free. I am the source and creator of my whole universe of experience. The great yogi is the one who takes this to be literally true, not just language. The Shaivite scripture, the Shiva Drishti says, do the sadhana of Shiva with the awareness, I am Shiva, I am the worshiper. And what is worshipped? I am Shiva. Do the sadhana of Shiva as Shiva. Shiva is the enjoyer and Shiva is the enjoyed. Shiva is the doer and Shiva is the deed. Shiva is all the senses and I am Shiva. Baba used to say, the devotee and God are the only way to worship that Shiva and become that Shiva, to have that awareness. In the Shaivite view, our bondage and suffering are the result entirely of our own attitude. The word for the latter is bhavana, a rich term meaning something like life stance. This has been formed by years of acquired patterns of thought and feelings particularly habitual patterns of self-diminishing identifications. We suffer from the, what he calls the pashubhav, the shrunken attitude. I am bound. I am weak. I am a sinner. Our goal is shivabhav, the attitude of divinity. I am Shiva, and I have all the attributes, power, and joy of Shiva. The heart of our inner evolution lies in the re-education of our attitude, but the patterns that we have built up are so powerful, recalcitrant, that we wonder if it's possible. Baba used the analog of straightening a dog's tail. It curls right back up as soon as you let it go. Fortunately, our nature is somewhat better than a dog's tail. The warp can be corrected. To do that, we have to apply a strong and opposite force again and again. I couldn't do that to Shakti, though. Her, her tail curls, curls up. What if they're bred that way? Well, we're, I guess we're bred with tearing thoughts, aren't we? So to do that, we have to apply a strong opposite force. The countervailing force of the Shiva Bhavana re-educates spiritual intuition. Hard as the task is, it is made easy by grace and the image of the guru that's in front of us and by the fact that they bear witness that, to our, true nature, that our true nature has no warp in it. They insist that it is easier for us to be Shiva than limited, for that is who we really are. 
According to the ancient Siddha, Abhinavagupta, there are three steps in attaining the bhav of Shiva. First, we hear the teaching from the guru. It can be the classic formulations of Vedanta, thou art that, or I am the absolute. It can be Shaivite, I am Shiva, or all this is God. It can be in the familiar phrases of the guru, God dwells within you as you, or see God in each other. The next step has to do with reasoning. Our mind is not used to dwelling at the level of these great ideas. We are habituated to mental landscapes dominated by pashu bhav, limitation. We have to set up a communication between our normal mind and the Shiva mind. An interior dialogue questioning and answering begins. This is not an interior debate or argument. It should not be of the form of how can they say I'm Shiva? I'm not Shiva. Rather, it should be a receptive opening to the teaching, bent on changing the mind rather than challenging the teaching. I feel like a weak person. No, the guru says I'm Shiva. Therefore, this feeling of weakness must be an illusion based on wrong understanding. Beneath that self-conception, my Shiva nature lies hidden. Out of faith in the world of the, of the guru, let me assert it despite how I feel. I am Shiva. The third state of bhavana is therefore intense identification with the attitude of Shiva. And as I've said before, you know, the, the contemplation I am Shiva didn't really resonate with the power that I had hoped it would. But I am the self, the contemplation for me of I am the self always resonates with a reality that seems true. Maybe because I think of Shiva as a man. I don't know. Is it, he's not really gender specific, but somehow in my mind I'm stuck in that. I know it's consciousness. I know all that. But it's okay to say I'm consciousness. That's it. But if I say Shiva, I think of, you know, the guy sitting in the lotus. Where is he? He's around here somewhere. Anyways, that's just my mind. What? He's up there. He's over there. Anyways, that's just my mind. So find the, find the contemplation. What the Vigyana Bhairava is really saying, find the contemplation that resonates real for you. You know, who, wh how do you think of your true nature? So he says, Swamiji goes on, he says, we hear the teaching and we think about it to resolve doubts as preparation to surrender. And finally, we practice it with fervor. But in order to practice something with fervor, you have to know what rings, what resonates with you. It's really important. And these teachings are there as a possibility. Everything's there as a possibility. So find the one that makes you sing. Find the one that makes you feel integrated and whole and connected to the guru and connected to the self. Find that contemplation. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, Guruji outlined G statements in his books is because those contemplations are a possibility for the highest contemplation. So he says that Jayadev Singh calls bhav, bhavana, creative contemplation. It involves imagination. Think of how powerful the human imagination is. It created the plays of Shakespeare, the symphonies of Beethoven, the return of the Jedi. In Bhavana, that same imaginative fa faculty is turned away from external creative to creativity towards the self. It becomes a powerful tool for realization. A dharana is nothing but an intense imagination thrust towards the self. Imagination married to faith in the teachings and a deep desire to attain happiness and peace fuel the inner effort. The goal is the feeling and experience of Shiva. Once we have gotten a taste by means of dharana or contemplation, lasting two or three minutes, we begin to sense that place within us effortlessly amidst our normal activities. Good, huh? He's a great teacher. I'll say it all the time. Who's a better teacher than him?
Nobody. All right. I thought uh, for meditation we could do one of the dharnas that, uh, that he offered in, in this. Uh, and it's two parts. So uh, uh, then we'll, we'll meditate and then we'll, uh, that will end the program for tonight. So I'll just say again with great respect and love on, with, on Swamiji's behalf, we welcome you all all of our hearts. And that includes the ashramites, too. They're missing you, too. They'll never admit it. <laughs> but they are. So we wait for the day with bated breath for the return of all of you to uh, satsang. In the meantime, enjoy uh, virtual satsang and uh, think of the shakti in everyday experience. All right, so Swamiji goes on. He will turn down the lights, and you can close your eyes for these two contemplations. And he, he says the first one deals with worship. And he, he suggests, says, contemplate with eyes closed this thought and we'll do it for three minutes how's that he says the body is a temple imagine imagine that your body is the temple and the heart is the deity or the self is the deity Imagine waving lights to the heart, to your own heart. Imagine worshiping yourself as the self. Or you can visualize or feel the guru in the heart. If you are highly visual, you can imagine a whole arati or worship, but keep the heart in focus as the deity. The body is the temple and the heart is the deity. We'll contemplate that for three minutes. <laughs> 